I was working in the office, which was in the warehouse. And I loved the energy of like the warehouse and like seeing everyone like working with garments, uh, with, yeah, with all the materials and all that stuff. I, I really enjoyed that. And I was like, okay, I really want to work in fashion. I don't know which job exactly, but I want to be surrounded by that. Welcome to or welcome back to Fashion Career Stories. My name is Lucas Silva Edwards. I'm a career strategist and leadership coach specialized in the fashion and luxury industry. My role is to help you design a successful life and career in one of the most glamorous industries on the planet, but also one of the most competitive. For that reason, I interview each week fashion professionals at different stages of the career in order to decode their best practices, tactics and strategies. My hope for you is that you will find in this conversation some inspiration and insight that will help you build your professional journey in the world of fashion and luxury. Today, I have the great pleasure to receive Laure Messia. What would you do if you had to start your dream job as a buyer, in charge of opening a new store in the fashion capital of the world, few weeks before COVID and the months-long lockdown? How would you handle that pressure? Well, that is exactly what I wanted to talk with Laure. At that time, Laure was the buyer for footwear and lifestyle product for Keith Paris. Keith is an iconic concept store created by Ronnie Fig with the pristine reputation of mixing streetwear brands, sneakers and luxury product with a unique retail experience. For the first store in the EU, Keith chose to open in Paris few blocks away from Avenue des Champs-Élysées and Avenue Montaigne. It goes without saying that the project was a huge milestone for Keith and that a lot of responsibilities were on Law's shoulders. Which, by the way, was only the second employee in France at that time. He has never been a buyer before. As you will see, Law is full of energy and grit. And she doesn't give up easily. And with more than 10 years in the industry, between France and the US, she has acquired a real expertise in wholesale, helping brands develop their businesses. In this episode, you will learn about Law's journey in the fashion industry and how she has built her expertise, what are the mission of a buyer for a concept store and how to manage performance of your product, the best practices to become a great salesperson in wholesale, and how to leverage your passion to never give up in moments of crisis. But also, how to shift careers without letting fear stand in your way. What you will also learn with experience in this industry is to always expect the unexpected. There is always something that goes wrong, no matter how well you prepare. However, what really matters is how you react to it and make the best of the new situation. And you will see Laure's journey, it's full of those moments, and each time, she came through stronger than before. And with no further ado, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Laure Messia. Psst. If you enjoy some of our previous episodes and want to support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. This is the most efficient way to help us grow and entice people to listen to the show. So don't be shy, hit those five stars and show us your love in the comment section. Hi, Lo. How are you? 
Hi, Lucas. I'm good, thanks. And you? I'm really good. I'm so happy to have you. So we haven't spoken in, in a long time, so I'm really happy to, to have you uh, in the podcast. And, uh, and we were just talking before uh, we went live to, um, that you started your career directly uh, in New York. And, uh, and you were telling me that you, it was not super easy at the beginning. You even have to waitress and, uh, and you work in fashion tech and then you come back to France, to Paris, to uh, not so long ago, continue your career at uh, Kiss as a, as a buyer. So I wanted to start this, uh, this conversation with uh, this last experience at Kiss, such a unique brand, such a unique uh, uh, name. And, uh, and maybe you can explain to us um, what is the job of a buyer at Kiss? Yeah, for sure. Well, for, first of all, thanks for having me. It's such a pleasure. Um, and thanks for thinking of me. Um, so yeah, to talk about Kiss first, it's, uh, it actually was my first uh, role as a buyer. Um, because yeah, before that, I was only on the side of like the wholesale side of uh, fashion and design. So um, it was quite new for me. And it was actually for building this huge flagship, which is in the, the eighth uh, in Paris. So a lot of, you know, pressure and a lot of like investment and commitment into that job. Um, so it was the opening, like I was hired two months before the opening. And uh, yeah, the the COVID happened, like wow, for so... like, yeah, it was in the middle of it. And we were supposed to open in, in November. And we got into, um, you know, quarantine again. And so we finally opened uh, at the end of February of 2021, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it was quite crazy. So that was the first job of me as a buyer to make sure all of our, you know, brands and buys were all set up to be ready and also on hold before the opening. So first role as a buyer, I was not expecting that, to be honest, like being like ready on this challenge of during the COVID, uh, which was more of like operations and logistics to handle. But um, then it it went a bit more like smoothly, <laughs> but still, you know, like it's an American company. So we had to also face the challenges of a new culture, um, which I think this is also why they found me because I have this like big uh, chunk of my career made in the US. So I, I kind of like those two sides of me of like the vision of like an American, but also like a French from my, from like my background. Um, so yeah, the, the role exactly um, like from now it really to make sure all the commercial assortment is uh, and the DNA is well set to what the kids in the US wants to uh, express and making sure the brands are aligned with um, with also our language. And so we'll go to showrooms, uh, we go to fashion runways, but that's like 5% of it, as you might know. <laughs> um, and um, and so, yeah, the, the glamour side is really to select the brands and to select then the models per like the sorry uh the skews we would say so yeah. <laughs> i'm really being technical right now <laughs> yeah that's perfect but, uh, and we're gonna go back to maybe what it's a skew yeah for those who don't know 
let's take our little like diction, fashion dictionary. Um, oh, but yeah, selecting um, the from ready to wear to footwear, but also from all this lifestyle part um, to make sure it would merch would be a great fit into our merchandising. Um, and after that, which I would say in my part would be like 60% of the job is making sure the performance of what we've selected um, is actually having a short time life on the floor and sell out quite quickly um, and making sure our inventory is always, always healthy. Um, so it's a lot of Excel, a lot of analysis <laughs> and, um, and less runways <laughs> than what we can expect, <laughs> but it's super, super um and powerful and also yeah it's 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 really interesting side of the this whole fashion uh world good present a presentation because in my opinion it summarized as you say like we have that idea of the buyer or the buying job it's like being in the runway and being with the designers and yeah some of them do that but that's just one moment one percentage exactly. of the of the job and the rest, as you say, is like, okay, the logistic, make sure the products arrive, uh, make sure that uh, you have everything on the, on the shop floor, make sure exactly. that they sell and they stay not too long, <laughs> obviously, yeah. on, the, on the shop floor. And maybe we can go back to those, those timing as well, because I think it's super uh, interesting. The question I have is like, how was that, you know, the two months before opening, what was kind of the the job at that moment that because as you say it was the first time you you become a buyer you didn't have the shop at that yeah. moment you didn't have a, a an history to relate yeah. to you know exactly like when you have a new job usually like you you have a history of the what's happening the year before so how was kind of that the first period before it opened it was it was to be honest so blurry and and because it was all remote as well and i was the second person from the french from the french hq to be hired um when in new york there are like 150 in the hq um there were only my colleague from the logistic and operation and me and we were remote so we were working in our home without having seen the store because because it was still a bit under construction um, so no idea of like where, you know, everything would have been set. I had an idea of the footwear side though, which was actually my biggest focus. Um, but it was, yeah, I, I would say it was such a blurry moment because it was so new for me as well. Um, but thankfully I had like, you know, a good management in the US that, that it was not the first time opening a store. It was the first time opening a store in the EU though, but we also had to open our EU website where, you know, the warehouse was in Belgium. So, so a lot, it was, it was a lot of working hours, uh, but so it was kind of like, like two days before Christmas a bit, you know, like you're preparing all the goods and you're, you're boxing and packing up everything until it's, it's like, you know, all the explosion of it. Um, and yeah, it, it was, it was crazy. Because um, the brands, it, like it was all through video calls, having to present myself, having to know like which season they can deliver now because we're in the middle of holidays and and some of them had to like cancel sides, uh, cancel styles. So 
so yeah it was um it was a lot but we had like a good you know uh, a good roadmap to follow as well uh, but I never met my colleagues from the US who I was, you know, in contact with every day. And I've never met them in person until like a year and a half after. So, yeah, quite, yeah. During this moment, it was really, really challenging. But I would say like super um, confident that each human can adapt themselves to any, you know, any context and situation. Because they, when they believe in it, like they, 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 they can adapt themselves. So, yeah. What I always uh, appreciate about you, especially when we, we met when I was at the Bon Marché, it's, it's that spirit, exactly what you said, like uh, that energy that you have, that adaptability, uh, your capacity to, to connect with a lot of people in a really short period of time. How did you develop those, uh, those, those skills? Have they always been kind of part of you? Is that something that you crafted along the years? Yeah, I think it's really the US actually. Um, I feel like New York taught me so much so fast. Um, it's It actually accelerated my career. I would say like if I stayed in France and I don't want to discourage anyone, but I feel like in the, in the US, because it's such like um, fragile um, economic uh, for for any person you can get like, fired uh, in like one day and you can also find a job in one day so everything is you can go if you work harder then that really sounds super basic but if you really work hard you can get to the point of like what you really want and um and really this is where i developed all my energy and i with my with also my old job such as old I, where I was a salesperson um, for for the for the tech for this B two B platform, it was really like okay. I was a go getter, you know. I was um, I was starving to find you know a, a contract, and so I knew how to like develop network and and because without that, I couldn't have you know any contract signed. So so I was like going out there in the New York jungle and uh, talk to everyone. And um, yeah, I was passionate though. It, it was it was a real passion and, and the environment I was in was super, um, super kind actually compared to what we can think of the fashion industry. Coming back to a little bit on the, on the job. So correct me if I'm wrong, usually buyers, they, uh, they have categories of products. Was it the case at, at Keys or were you in charge of all the categories, men, women? What was kind of the... So the funny part the was um, I started with a focus on footwear because for Keith, it's like, it's, yeah, it's the biggest, uh, it's it's how it started. Keith started um, with Ronnie Feig uh, that with him being like a passionate of sneakers and opening his first sneaker shop. And in the US, it's so well known for that. And so we wanted to keep that DNA in France, having like this huge room of footwear, um, not only sneakers though, but you know, also of like designer shoes, but we had to be on point um, on that world um, because also of our, with our partnership with big, you know, pure players, uh, you know, such as Nike, Adidas that we had in the US. So we were able to also get those like good relationship with the EMEA partners as well. Uh, so my biggest, yeah, my the categories I was in was 
for footwear. And then, uh, as I was the only buyer on the, um, on, yeah, on the field, um, I also got a lot of like touches on each categories and was able to also help and support the, um, the other categories when I felt that there were like a weakness or some like, uh, room to improve. And, uh, I had the chance to also work, uh, much more on the lifestyle and, uh, men's accessories, um, at Kith, which was, so good. Um, like the lifestyle era was super nice. Like it, it really expanded so much in, in terms of cultural, like I was able to find, I was in charge of like finding artists of, um, of the lifestyle room. And obviously the, the card of being at Kith, you know, people are like, okay, this is super rad. <laughs> so, so I was really mixing passion with work at that moment, going to like big art fairs or exhibition or gallery openings and finding an artist to put him on, um, in the shop. And I remember, I will always remember the first time we, uh, put our, the, the first artist, the first paint of this artist, uh, called Mario Picardo, um, on, in the shop. I almost cried, like literally, I almost cried. I was because he, he like, this guy is so nice and like he's French and like French Chilean, sorry. And he was like so emotional and to be there and I was too. So yeah, so the lifestyle part was also a big, a big thing for me. The, the art world um, mixed with the footwear as well. So yeah. <laughs> yeah such a amazing combination. And I love yeah. your your anecdote because it's exactly what we love about our industry is those moments of passion of connection of succeeding to promote designers or artists in in some way and to put them at the right place when you know people are going to see them and uh it's true it's really emotional to yeah you know, to to be part of that and i think that's what we probably all crave in this industry when we enter it it's like i want to be part of something like that so, for sure yeah, it's a nice. It's uh, huge. Anecdote. Yeah, and to feel that you can also, you know, you you're supporting young artists and emerging or yeah. emerging designers. This is so fulfilling for you, like that you're also, yeah, you you help them out uh, to maybe grow or at least for a short moment of time, you made them like, you know, proud of like what they what they do. So that's that's super cool. I don't remember in your, um, is sneaker has been one of your specialty before Kiss or it's something that you learn with Kiss because it's such a, as you said, such a unique uh, symbol for the brand, you know, that big room with all those sneakers. I remember going to the store and that, that was the room I was looking for. Is like, what's going to be the selection of sneakers because yes. they're so fa famous for that. So was it something that you already have worked with or it was something new? Well, uh, that's a, a good question because um, I actually was not a sneaker head, so, like really not. Um, I always, I always been more focused on like menswear uh, <laughs> and sneakers, you know, I, before I were, I was only wearing like, you know, French, French brands, like, but like shoes, shoe brand, like Parabout or Adieu and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, sneakers for me, like Air Forces or Blazers, Air Max ones, like 
I knew that, but like, not, I'm not a collectioner. And I, yeah. I learned so much. I had to work hard though. Like, you know, downloading apps, buying books on like, you know, who, um, like the biggest writers in like the sneakers industry, like reading a lot, but also, you know, talking to like all the young kids that are coming to the store and, you know, making sure like understanding, like they were thinking, why would they buy, why would they have like 300 pairs of shoes at their home? Like this industry is insane. <laughs> like they, they would like, yeah, they would even like buy, um, you know, a storage to just yeah. like store their sneakers. Uh, because for them, like each sneakers have such like a strong history, which it's true, it is, but it's yeah, it's more like from you know the basketball, and it's really American. So I had to learn, um, but I was really well, also um, surrounded by um, knowledgeable people in that era, like such as like my manager in the U.S. was a footwear director, a big passionate as well. So yeah, it it was uh, again another way of adapt, adapting yourself uh, in this uh, industry is super important. Is there any um, maybe anecdote that you remember about the specific sneakers or talking to one of those kids that uh, maybe stood uh, in your in, in your mind? Wow, I mean, there's, I've seen some, <laughs> yeah, I've seen some crazy, crazy stuff, but um, for me, the the biggest thing is really to seeing the, to have seen the uh, this huge line, one of a morning at Kith, one of my first mo morning at Kith, and we were launching this AJ one, and I was like, to my colleagues, like, is that normal? <laughs> and it was like a long line of kids camping there, from six a.m. when we open at ten a.m., and and I was like talking to them, like, what are you waiting for? It was like. Well, we won the AJ one, uh, and and that was I was just so shocked about how this pair in France would be uh, would be so yeah uh, known actually. So yeah, and so so desirable actually. And um, so you were saying that besides the the sneakers, you had the chance to do the little bit the let's say the art. And how does it work for the the ready to wear? Was it something directly from the US and they select uh, the product? Because I know the the brand also have their own line, and that's something I always liked uh, about Kiss. It's like they, even the the yeah the online it's uh, it's really unique, really well curated. The price point it's uh, it's it's really good. So did you had anything to do with that or not so much? Or maybe can you tell us a little bit how it works over there? For, for the for the in-house line, so the the Keith line, um, it was all like controlled from from the US. Um, uh, we I had the chance to just like give you know like feedback on our customers, um, but really the the collection is just global. So uh, I was not touching a, as that. It was more on the multi-brand um, multi-brand side. And uh, for the ready-to-wear, so yeah, everything was um, controlled by the U.S. still. But um, I every week doing like some touch bases on like the the highlights of the week and the type of customers that are coming, how to improve our merchandising, how to also improve our buys. So I was adding my comments on like, okay, this might be too extravagant for our girl. 
like she's not American, but actually it changed it because it was so, it's so new, the flagship in Paris that like the time we were known to be there, our customer changed. So when we first opened, it was, you know, a lot of, because it was based in the, uh, this golden triangle. So a lot of like palaces and a really big purchase uh, power there. Uh, but then we were, we were started to be known by Americans, uh, but also Korean and Israeli. And so that was a challenge to also adapt the buys according to like the evolution of the Keith clientele because it changed dramatically from the beginning to, to right now, actually, which it's, it, and it's still going to change. I feel like because Chinese hasn't been coming yet, you know, so. It's so true because I, I remember at uh, working at the Le Bon Marché, it's easy compared to what you are saying is because our customer base, it's pretty much the same. It doesn't yeah. evolve so much. So from yeah. one season to the other season, when you do the selection, you're more or less imagining, okay, I see my customer that he's going to like, he's not going to like. But when I hear you, it's like, okay, from last season, and you didn't have much seasons to compare, but let's say from the first season to the second season. Exactly. Uh, it's like really like betting on your own taste or the taste of the other buyer and say, okay, I would yeah. think that the customer going to evolve. Uh, let's try this out and until you kind of find like that uh, sweet spot between yeah. uh, you know the international customers and you, as you said like you haven't had the chinese customer yet so it exactly is really so it might unique. change again yeah, yeah. We, while we still need to really respect our direction uh and for for the paris flagship we really try to get like you know more elevated um as you get, you can see the structure, the architecture of these store is definitely super, super luxurious. Um, so still being on that, on that side, but when we first started, we had our buy done by the U S so it was really like kind of a copy of our assortment from Soho store. Um, but yeah, we, we, we were facing some challenges because French girls are actually not buying that you know so we we realized that oh it was not only french girls but we had some you know people from emirates um which are also like buying differently i really liked this part of like an analysis of sociology a bit you know you just see the behavior according to the nationality and according to the age and always like working and improving so it was super super interesting so before we kind of go back a little bit onto your background and uh, where this passion of fashion come from, the last question I have regarding the keys and the bang would be what you said about the analysis, Excel, you know, that let's say less glamorous side, but which is the heart of the, the business. For those <laughs> who maybe want to become buyers, can you tell us a little bit about what, what skills do they need? What is the uh, skew that we talk about? What kind of the... the the big rocks of that uh, that job. Yeah, I th think really it depends on like which category you work on. But on my on my part, it's organization, like organization, because sometimes you have to deal with like you know a hundred, maybe more brands, and tracking everything with the organization is so important. Just making sure you have an eye on everything and that like 
what you have by what you have bought sorry is actually going on the floor like the most important is like we need to get products on the floor to be able to sell it that's that was the the mojo and also to make sure it sells so from that i would say it's always have an eye on and creativity on how to sell better as well creating you know marketing strategy around a brand or seeing if like the life of a skew of a style is not uh is too long what are the other options you can get i i would say it's to be really multitask as well a lot of excels through analysis which is you know formulas will be the be your best friends <laughs> it's it's a lot of like logistic and operations i would say first and then mer merchandising and then making sure uh, the inventory is healthy. That's that's a big challenge, I think, for every every store is oh. just making sure the the inventory is always in a good health. Quick announcement before we jump back into our conversation. Working in our industry is such a thrilling experience. We have a worldwide cultural impact. We help bring to life amazing products and customer experiences, and there is always something new to discover and no time to get bored. However. Sometimes such intensity does not make it easy to take a step back and sometimes we lose sight of what really matters to us. Sometimes in the heat of action, we forget to reflect on our journey so far and to think about where we are heading to with our life and career. And that's what coaching is for. It offers you a dedicated moment to think and strategize about the type of career you want to build, the kind of leader you want to be and the type of improvement you want to implement. To work in your industry is to thrive for excellence. And that starts by you being able to perform at your best. So if lately you have been feeling overwhelmed and unable to think clearly, lacking motivation and seeing your performance decrease, or simply that you are at a crossroad in your career and want to get to the next level in terms of management and responsibilities, please reach out and let's talk about how we can work together. As a certified coach, I will help you ask yourself more powerful questions to get better answers, design effective strategies to reach your goals and dreams, and get clarity on your next steps and priorities. Contact me on LinkedIn at Lucas Silva Edwards, and let's talk during a 30-minute complimentary meeting. And now, let's dive back into our conversation. Can you comment quickly on what you talk about, like, you know, the, the life uh, spend on the shop floor that, you know, you say... The product need to hit the floor fast and need to leave the floor fast. Yeah. Can you just give us a, what is a, a timeline and why it's so important that the, the product uh, leave the store fast? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, for, on, on the footwear side, it's really um, specific, I would say, because we have four quarters. So the first quarter would be the buys for the full winter. The second quarter would be the buys for holidays. And the third would be for spring. In December, you buy for Q2, uh, which would be like pre, uh, like high summer. So the life of a, of a style has to really live within that quarter until the new season arrives. So the best is really to avoid, obviously, getting into markdowns. And the most important is really to get your brands shipping as fast as possible. So you're the first in the market to have that style so you can sell it 
if you have it fast and before everyone, you're kind of exclusive. So you, you could sell it fast. The time spent for, for footwear, for a sneaker would be, you know, 90 days. But after for like art, for example, it's such a different way. Um, you know, we are, we're looking at like 90 to 120 days. So it, yeah, we, we're talking in two like days. It's, it's crazy, but, yeah. but also, you know, we, we can have a really high price point price point jewelry that we are putting a year uh life spent on the floor because the the price point is so high that we are we're not uh betting on like selling like we if we we only buy like you know one units of that and we're betting on selling it all um all along the year so so it really depends on the category Super interesting that according to different type of product, you have different type of lime spam. So yeah. you need to manage it di differently and keep an eye there. On, as you said, day per day, say, ah, this one, it's almost uh, arriving to the, to the end. What should I do? And things exactly, like exactly. So yeah, yeah you, you, and super... you are creating your own alarm, you know, like you're like, yeah. wow, it's 89 days right now. And it, we, we still have it on our inventory. So we just like, how should we push it? So, so it's really meticulous and to, to see style by style, what we can do. Yeah. When I always think about the role of the buyer, it's that capacity to have a high view about the brands and the market and category of product and zoom in really in details at yeah. the skew level, as we talked about, and say, okay, this model, we need to push it, push it, and maybe say, okay, let's have a strategy for all those models at the same time and, and exactly. zoom back again and say, okay, what else do we have here? And it's like really zoom in, zoom out all the time at exactly. a really fast pace, obviously. So yes. it, it is a, a unique uh, a job. For sure. It's um, exactly that. <laughs> now, thank you for all those uh, details. Um, I wanted to kind of... Uh, go back into in time and uh and maybe can you tell us a little bit about your your background and when fashion enter into your your life and you decided kind of to say okay i'm gonna work in the fashion industry well i think i was born to be <laughs> to be in that industry like i i mean not into this industry but more in the in the more creative industry I always had a pen in my hand and always loved to draw shoes, uh, women's shoes, and always love, love to draw like girls with crazy outfits. Like my mom has all those books with, obviously right now I feel that they're horrible to be honest. Like it's like a five years old drawing, but, um, it was crazy though. I could spend hours doing that. And then obviously when I grew up, like, it was kind of like this pop culture. So I'm, I'm from 1991 and, you know, like Spice Girls, like all those like French groups as well, like super, like they were owning their clothes, you know, they were like loving it and they were not shy. And I feel like this, actually, this, yeah, this trend is actually coming back, you know? So I was drawing them and was in love of like how a woman could express herself through clothes as well. With age, um, I developed a lot of like love for the mid-century uh, terms of like design, but also the 60s, like Courage, Pierre Cardin, Saint Laurent. Like I was in love with all the futuristic design, Paco Rabanne. I was such a fan. Um, I, I would say it's also because my parents always 
made me listen to like, you know, François Hardy, France Gall, like all this retro, like Jeanne Berkin. Um, so yeah, I think it's from music, design and art that it became like all into fashion. It for me, it's all related. Yeah, it's as you said, like it's really like the cultural background. It's made in the 60s, 70s. Yeah. So it's really, really fun. And but there is a, a thing like we can have a passion for, you know, the, the fashion, but it's one thing to decide that I'm going to work in the in that industry. Did you remember? Do you remember when that happened? When you decide, OK, I'm going to go for it and, and try to, to get in? Yeah, it was, you know, at the end of um, La Terminal. Um, I don't know how you would say that in uh, in English, yeah. but yeah, when you're like 17, 18. Exactly. Just before yeah. college. Exactly. Just before college, when you have this really big pressure on like which college you should, ha which you should go. And I wanted to work in the fashion industry or in the, in the art industry. I wanted to draw, actually. I wanted to be... Um, either like an industrial designer or a, um, a fashion designer. But my father, oh, I hope he's not going to listen to that because he's going to feel really <laughs> guilty. <laughs> Sorry, dad. <laughs> But uh, yeah, like my father tried to convince me that it was not really a sustainable um, way of earning your life. So like art was too risky. So He really like like I was um I was registered to go to Penningen, this art school, but he also told me like, oh, just in case, register to that business school. Just make sure, you know. And uh, obviously during like those two months, everybody everyone tried to, you know, my parents and, and you know, older people convinced me on like this is a safer way, safest way to start your career in a business school. But yeah, I made it work. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, it's a really interesting uh, anecdote and, and thank you for, for sharing it because I believe it happened to a, lo a lot of us um, to have that external pressure when we choose the, the studies, yeah. especially the studies, as you said, linked to the creative industry, fashion. Uh, when it's more the business side, it's, like, let's say, more like uh, safe, as you said. But it's true, those creative ones, the pure ones, it's always uh, some, for some of the parents, it's really hard. What would you give as an advice for people who are at that stage of their life and they, they don't know creation, business, a more safe route? Now that you have you know, more experience, what, what would you give them as an advice? I would say internships are like using your free time to really get to know what you think you like, because there is such difference between, oh, I'm passionate of that, but I actually don't know anything of like the, what's behind it. So not internship, I'm, I'm kind of like being too harsh, but I, like just observation, few days and to talk to someone, to, to talk, to call people and, um, and asking them what are the biggest challenges in this industry, what do they prefer the most in what they do? So they're a bit more aware of the realist, the, the reality of the, the job. Um, because my father had no idea of actually what a fashion designer was, you know, he had no idea. He just had this like global image of, oh, he, this is an artist. 
must live in a tiny apartment and not making any money. So, but obviously a business man or woman on ours in our society looks much better. You have it's it's just a, a format, you know. Um, so I would say like make your own opinion by asking people uh, what what is the truth. <laughs> it's it's such it's such a good uh, uh, advice because it's exactly what you say. Parents they do their best for their kids. They always have the best intention at, at heart, but sometimes they don't have the knowledge. Exactly. They have the intuition. Yeah. They have like maybe the format as you talked about, uh, but sometimes they don't know at all exactly what is the job entail and what are the opportunities of the, the those yeah. jobs. Exactly. It's true as a at that moment, it's really, and, and it's true even later in the career, especially when you want to change ca careers, like, okay, let's go talk to the people who do the job. And that's where the network uh, is important. We don't have all the, ch the, the chance to have a big network and thing like that, but online, even like through podcasts, for example, what we're doing for we sure. today, discover so many, have so many information about what the job entails. And what I love about your advice is that you, the question you, you ask them to ask, it's about extremes. What yeah. do you love and what yeah. don't you like? And like that, it gives you like really like the full range of exactly. the, you know, the, the, the position. Because if you just ask, can you tell me about the job? The answer is going to be kind of uh, mild, not going to be so interesting. But the yeah. extremes can give you a lot of insight. So I, I, I really wanted to highlight that because I love it. It's really good. No, for sure. I mean, I mean, if 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 um, a young person asking himself of being a buyer, for example, and thinking like it's all about going to showrooms or like you know going to runways. I would be, we would be the first to say, okay, hold tight. You know, it's, it's a lot of Excel and maybe this young person hates being on the computer. So, exactly. you know, that, that would be a huge advice. And uh, yeah. I, and now I feel like for sure you're right. Like with the, with internet, it was not as for us. Like I had, you know, I don't know if LinkedIn was existing uh, when I was 18, but I was not no. using it. <laughs> no, it so, definitely yeah. not part of our world. <laughs> <laughs> right and i wish no. I, I to be honest i wish because um yeah it would have helped me so much but now there is much more than linkedin actually um so yeah use as much tools as as you can um it's so important for sure okay so if i understand well you choose the business side and i went to be, do business school what kind of uh, experience internships did you did you do over there that kind of help you uh, design your your career where you want it to go um well from the, the good thing about the business school really for me the highlight of it is um the time of internship that they give you and also of like um, erasmus exchange studies it really uh, helps you to uh, improve in your language like english spanish like german as well so that's a big thing, but um, the internships, like every year I had to do internships. So I had to try some ideas of like, okay, maybe I want to do that, but it actually it was, it was not good. But the big thing that helped me, I think it was during an internship in Bali. Uh, people will hate me, but yeah, I did an internship in Bali. Um, that was, it was to mix a bit like pleasure and work. <laughs> <I> was young. <laughs> And it's a good and, combination. Uh, 
it was perfect. <laughs> and uh, and I I worked for this brand that, uh, called Baker Made with Love. It's it was um, a brand for kids for furniture for small furniture like hat, um, um, backpacks or like uh, small bags for for kids. And uh, yeah, I was in the um, uh, I was working in the office, which was in the warehouse in Bali. And I loved the energy of like the warehouse and like seeing everyone like working with garments, uh, with, yeah, with all the materials and all that stuff. I, I really enjoyed that. And I was like, okay, I really want to work in fashion. I don't know which job exactly, but I want to be surrounded by that. Uh, I want to see how it like, yeah, how to make like a garment from like just a piece of like uh, material that becomes like a backpack. I felt like it was, it was so good, but I was actually, my, my role there was more into like press and communication, but yeah. And this, this helped me a lot to make sure I went, I wanted to do that. No, what, what I hear that uh, I think it's really interesting is like try as many internship or professional experience as possible to yeah. decide what you want to do. Yeah. And Sometimes we try to do it the other way around. We say, I want to do this and I look for this internship. And it's a valid uh, strategy. But the other yeah. way around also works as well because yeah. you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. You say, sometimes this could be location. I want to go work yeah. at Bali. And yeah. you see, it could work as well. So I love that, you know, crit the criteria doesn't always have to be the brand, the title. Yeah, be, you know the category of product. It could be the opportunity to travel somewhere different and discover yeah. new energy the environment. So, and from there, you build your your career and uh, yeah, you decide where your your journey uh, leads you. So it's a yeah, it's, for it's sure, a good one. Yeah, talking about journeys and, and traveling, you were telling me before the the podcast that uh, at the end you you spend half of your career in New York, so. How did you manage, because you are French, how did you manage to start your career directly in New York? Because when we think about it, you always think about the visas, the problem, yeah. thing like that. It's not so easy to start right away. So how did you manage uh, to, to do that? And, and maybe you can tell us what, uh, what did you do over there? Yeah, so um, I had the chance to find an internship for my last year of my study, of, of my master. It was a six-month internship that we had to find uh, before doing the thesis. The thesis, and um, I obviously I would just wanted to go to New York, yeah. and that that was okay. just the I wanted to do my internship there. So I would have I, I could have said yes to everything. <laughs> I was just so eager to go there, and um, I found this company it was a french company that was hiring only french people so that was quite easy for me to go there uh, but the job was a bit more trickier it was organized it was about organizing events for uh, pharmaceutical companies so right. doing yeah a package of like uh, a seminar in Las Vegas, so I had to find hotels and like restaurants and all that stuff. So it was like more production and and um, and yeah, events. Um, it was not my my cup of tea to be honest, but I made it through. They even wanted to hire me at the end, but I I knew that wasn't for me. So I tried 
the hardest way to stay because I also fall in love at that point of an American guy <laughs> and he was wow. the owner of the restaurant. <laughs> and so, and, and so he was like, well, if you want to leave this job, uh, maybe you should work at the restaurant. And I worked there and, um, it, it goes beyond like experience, prof professional experience, but yeah, we got married actually. So this is how yeah. I, I, I was I, imagining that's where yeah. the story was going. That's exactly. The, the classic. <laughs> a classic, but we were in love. <laughs> but that's yeah, for sure. that was a, that was the easiest way to be honest. It, it's yeah. so hard to, yeah, to find a company that you really want to get into by being like a foreigner in this country. So from there, I worked at the restaurant. I got my visa, my green card, which was uh, quite insane. And then I was able to work for an official company because I was seen as an American um, citizen. But I, I, I it's, it's really funny because it worked the other way around because my wife now it's American. So she had to come to France and she studied here for two years. But after a while, you're not going to continue to study for you know, for many years Forever, just to be able yeah. to stay. The, the only difference is like here in France, we have the PAX, which is a, a yeah. like marriage, but like way, easy, way easier. But we arrive, everybody arrive at the same conclusion. If we want yeah. to stay, you need to get married in some way or find a way to, to make it exactly. official. So that's why it makes me laugh because it's like <laughs> the opposite, but the same story. And so how did you enter the fashion scene over there? Because I imagine that... Uh, uh, when I imagine New York is that's like the fashion season is super fast. There is a lot of things, event. Uh, you, you even talked at the beginning that all the skills that you learn over there. So what kind of, what did you discover over there regarding like, you know, the, the jobs, maybe how is it different from France? What is kind of an overview of that experience? Over there? Yeah, I, I feel like really um, what helped help me so much is, actually how the Americans are so open to meet other people. And um, that makes a big difference for me because I was working at the restaurant, as I said, and uh, that was a, a restaurant with a really cool fashion crowd. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, this French girl new in town. People really wanted to speak with me. Um, and so I made a good network from that restaurant. And I, um, I was, I started it like a Netflix show when I hear you talk. Yeah. It like it's like a, Lord it New York, like right? <laughs> <laughs> why did they, why didn't they shoot, uh, shoes me? <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's true. Exactly that. it was less glamorous, way less glamorous the way I lived, but, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> this city, you have to survive. You're just not like, you know, just try to fall in love, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so um, uh, I started this internship there. You can do an internship like one day per week or three days per week, or you can also do like a seven day, 24 hours, you know, per week. It's just, it's without being paid, obviously. Um, obviously. So yeah, that was, and, and still have to work in a restaurant beside that. So this is where I actually, I called my dad and was like, I'm not going back to Paris and I don't want you to help me in any way of financial. Don't worry. The I'm I'm good. I'm gonna make it through. And um and found an internship and was working at the restaurant on the side. And this internship was with a really emerging designer. 
was going to the factories. I was like picking supplies and really I felt like um, the evil was Prada. Like uh, I was just like going everywhere in the city, just like with like tons of like bags and, and coming back and being yelled at. And, and yeah, I was like, wow, this is tough. Um, but I added that on my, you know, resume and it lasts only like three months or something like that. And, um, I was exhausted by the way. It was really exhausting. I could not do that right now. Like I would die. <laughs> it was, you know, I was finishing the restaurant at like, like 3 a.m. and started working at the internship at like nine. So it, it was insane. Um, and during weekends as well. So crazy. And, um, and so, yeah, and from there, uh, my uh, friends gave my resume to this showroom, a uh, multi-brand showroom in New York. And yeah, she was looking for a sales. We, we, we kind of like had this great connection. And this is where I really learned um, the wholesale industry. And I loved it. It was so good. Like, the, I always remember the first time she asked me like, so... Next month, we're going to Paris for market. And I was like, what? Market? What is that? Market. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what's a market? Like, for me, it was just yeah. like a, a, a fruit market, you know? <laughs> and, a supermarket. And, um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, that, that was like my first notion of, of it. And going back to my country for, for fashion week and for markets <laughs> was so... So what is market? So just so, like that people understand. Yeah. So market is um, where it's a time... It, uh, during the fashion week in the in each city, so most of the time it's Milan, London, New York, and Paris, and this is where the brands are able to show their collection for the season that the final customer will see. Most of the time, six months after, so it's a market where the buyers are tr are traveling to meet the wholesale uh, managers or the the salespersons of the brands. And this is where they do their market. It's not a fruit market, but they do like style, it's, skew market. <laughs> yeah, designer market. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this is how I, I ended up really having like a big step in the, in this industry and started to increase my network um, as well there. Network and is super important. Give us a, a quick summary of what is wholesale and what is the job of a salesperson in wholesale? Because we have a salesperson in retail that sells to the final customer, but what does a salesperson in a wholesale do? Yeah, this wholesale industry is is really uh, driven by the collection being bought by buyers, um, and a salesperson. I would say like. We also call them an area manager or um, a sales representative. So he would be the person representing the brand, but only the wholesale side. So the buyers would only buy the the collection that will deliver six months after. So the salesperson would just show a collection in Paris or in New York and the, those cities and uh, try to sell as much as they can without being pushy <laughs> and, um, and represent well the collection. So, so that, was, that was my job, but also making sure the assortment that has been bought was well delivered and also following up you know, with the orders. There is write an order means placing an order, like a, like a basket online. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I so like yeah, what I you know. said, like uh, it's representative the brand without and, and selling the brand to the buyers without being pushy. And I think yeah. those are, when I remember you, when we met, you were at, at, at Ordre at that time, and we can go back to, to Ordre a little bit after. Uh, what I love about your style was that is like you were super passionate about the brands you represented. You invited us to discover those brands, to say, I believe that brand, it's a, a good fit for the Bon Marché. And, uh, you know, you were like uh, chill about it. Not too much like, yeah, you yeah. need to come. When are you coming? And even though when we arrive, and I think that's why I want to highlight it, is because uh, as buyers or fashion editor like me, when we arrive to a showroom, what's make also the, let's say the, um, the selection, like the fact that we're going to select a brand. It's also how the person present the brand and how efficient she is at presenting yeah. as well. So between like, okay, what is the storytelling? What are the key pieces? What are the potential uh, they have uh, seen in terms of, uh, you know, the assortment and give us like those quick overviews and then Back it up a little bit, let the buyers and the person like look at the clothes, comment between them, be at service, say, okay, let's uh, show that in the model. And it's really yeah. an art, art form. It's not so yeah. easy to do that. So that's, yeah. so that's why I was really interesting how maybe how you did develop those, those skills because it was something quite unique to your style. So is there anything that you can maybe give as an insight or do you agree with what I just said? Like any comments regarding that? No, for, for sure. I mean, it's, um, and thank you for, for the, for those words, because, um, for me, be inside me, I was like, kind of, I, I wanted to expose, I was so happy, you know, to, to see you guys coming and see mm. what I, we had to offer. I mean, for a brand, it's such a big thing to attract the eye of, a huge department store that can also change the life of a brand, to be honest. Mm. So um, I, th I think the way I've been taught was really you do you with the way you feel with no, you know, no, not real structure, but obviously you need to present the brand as much as possible. So trying to, trying to be the most passionate of it with that passion, to be honest, without any, I would say, feeling for the brands, you cannot sell anything. Um, the good thing for me is that the brands I was representing, I love them. And I think um, that's a key to really be on the same page as the brand, as, as if you were the designer almost. Um, but also the key to be a salesperson there is obviously not to be overwhelming, making sure the buyer is controlling his own thoughts, but you're here to help him, helping him that the DNA is still respected and the, 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 the brand uh, image is always still respected. But I think being as much as lucky as you can is the best because also how I felt it as being a buyer after that. Exactly. People are rusting you. I cannot deal with that. <laughs> you know, so, so, so it, it can be like a, a, a deal. Yeah. A deal breaker. <laughs> so, yeah. so for me, uh, being, being um, low key, but still showing that you're passionate, people will always appreciate honesty. So, yeah. 
Yeah, and being sharp on the comments of what you, yeah. you know, the insight do you you provide. Because as yeah. you say, we have sensitive because we meet so many people, so many brands. And you know, the salesperson that I able like to really get into the mind of the buyer yeah. and understand that are the ones that I believe uh, make a big difference for the for the brands and for the for career. Sure. Uh, what Definitely. would you say um, are the so we talk about like the let's say the the skills needed for the salesperson, you know, as you, you said, the low key. As a buyer, what would you say are the, the skills at that period? You know, when you see so many things and you have to make your selection, you know, uh, what would you say are kind of the, the main skills to, to have? I think it, it's to be prepared, um, to have in mind before the appointments, so before coming to see the collection uh, on my side, just correct me if you you do another way. I would be happy to know how you you are doing, but <laughs> um, but for me is to be prepared with the numbers, making sure okay this is the best sellers and those are like the lowest sellers, and making sure you you would improve the categories. Uh, so just having on your iPhone, you know the sell-throughs. So the sell-throughs is a formulas <laughs> of how much you've sold divided by how much you've received <laughs> to be, <laughs> to be global. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so making sure you pick kind of, uh, the, the, the style that have, you know, the same DNA of this, of the best sell-throughs that you've had, but also listening to your intuitions without being too personal, obviously. Like, Keith is definitely not François Hardy, or not. So you need also to step back, this, yeah, zooming out on, like, everything, because you're, you're, uh, you're looking at Vogue in the morning, see all the runways that happened. Um, it's like being, like, on a crazy, you know, website and being so much on having seen so much images um yeah. making sure you keep in mind what you came for you know so <laughs> that's true yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a, so, yeah. I, I, li I like the way you you, you summarize it um, obviously on my side because i was more on the fashion editor side so my job was to and that's where we we met to was had to be the headhunter to for the buying team to say okay let's go see all the different brands and see which one are relevant for yeah. uh, for stores and then convince the buying team to have a look and then convince them with the help of the salesperson so with your help to yeah. eventually make a, a an order and if it's not this season and uh, and as we always say, like you need a buyer need to at least see the collection at least three times at least sure. to, 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 to buy to kind of repeat that uh, every season. But on my side, on the, as the fashion editor, it was exactly what you said. In the morning, you look at the, 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 the Vogue, the runways, and it's kind of having in your mind, you know, those are. Uh, Kind of uh, categories what are what's trending was uh, the colors what are the categories of product um that are you know that's showing and compare mm. them to what's happening last season compare yeah. them to one year ago and say ah okay that's continuing that this continuing ah that's kind of new and so having that kind of that big overview and then when you arrive at the at the showroom it's uh i like what you said it's keeping in mind what you came for 
And for me, yeah. it was to came to understand if the brand or at least the collection of the of the season is a right a good fit for a customer. Yeah. And that is kind yeah. of again in your head you're mixing you imagine your the different type of customer and let's say more like a designer customer say okay what do they like what don't they like so again you look at the sell through what is the best seller on my side i talked with the buyer and i tell mm. them okay what kind of pants what kind of shape what kind of color yeah. so i just have on my head kind of the big intuition and i try to see to mix that with the, the analysis of the collection so you kind of look that big overview. What are the colors? Are those the colors of our customers? What are the length, the shape? Um, is, does the brand have something quite unique to say? What is the storytelling? Sure. So that's why the salesperson yeah. is super important to, uh, for, for, for the brand. Is the storytelling saying something new compared to the offer that we already have mm -mm. on the floor? Is the story complementary or is it too similar? If it's too similar, is the brand really relevant for us? If it's a uh, complementary, okay, yeah. that sounds interesting. And you see, you have like filters kind of yeah. in your head uh, and you go deeper, deeper into the, now let's look at the product. Let's look at the price point. Ah, our customer doesn't go into those type of price points. So mm -hmm. the brand, it's cool, but the price are, are out of the, you know, the, the market for, uh, for us. And if it's the right price, okay, you continue. Or is the material, or is the the you know the yeah the 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 shape, or is the the mix? Can you for me what one thing was really important is like imagining the 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 customer looking at all the the collections in the in all the brands. Can we can he make different mix and matches between mm -hmm. the, the 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 brands? Imagining like a a vestiaire, uh, yeah, with 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 those type of brands and uh, and so that's why what was kind of my way of thinking every time i go uh, to a different showroom and uh, and have all those uh, filters checked in before For saying, sure. okay i think now they can come to see because those those filters are the question they're going to ask me basically yeah yeah so that's why yeah. i need to be able to answer to that and not just say oh it's a cool brand come to see it <laughs> No, yeah. It doesn't work that way. yeah, no, you need, you need to have uh, some background behind that for sure. Uh, I would add to that, that also how it would merchandise that, you know, like if you find, you know, accessories that are super cool, like high, high boots, like where would you see that in the store that would make sense? Sure. You know, that, that is so important because or like, you know, heels, but with like laces around, um, around the leg, like. Is our customer like the way it's like uh, merchandising? We, she would not see it, for example. So you always also have to visualize where it would fit and next to who. And also, I thought about that. Like social media now is also so important. To be honest, like it, like when I started, it was not as big as as now. And now, really, we we have to follow a certain type of celebrities and see always what they're wearing. And I feel like with AI, this is even gonna, you know, it's also gonna help buyers, but um, the, the the job will evolve for sure. Like there is now so much like tech companies that are um, helping with like trends and that would help like buyers as well in the way of, um, of thinking. So, yeah. 
No, so it's large. the merchandising point, it's an excellent uh, point because I remember like looking at some brands or accessories and you said that we cannot showcase them. They exactly. Cool, they fit, but it doesn't work for yeah. our store. Well, yeah. Every buyer is different according to the space they, they, yeah. they work. Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. Until the end of the year, I'm offering a whooping 50% off on my usual rate. That means you can get one-on-one -on -one coaching session with me for only 60 euros per hour. But here's the catch. There is only 100 hours of discounted session available. Why? Let me tell you. As a coach, I'm always looking to improve my skills and help my clients achieve their goals. That's why I've decided to pass the level one of the International Coaching Federation, known as ACC, for Associate Certified Coach. To obtain this new certification, I will need to complete at least 100 hours of coaching over the next 12 months. And I want you to be part of this journey. So if you want to discover how to perform at your best in all aspects of your life, or know someone who needs some help to get to the next level, please reach out on LinkedIn at Lucas Silva Edwards. Whether you are facing personal or professional challenge, or want to get clarity on your next career move, I will be able to help. I have experience in a wide range of topics, including self-confidence, work-life balance, emotional regulation, as well as communication, management, and leadership. And if you are going through a career transition or need help assessing your skills, that's one of my specialties. Again, reach out on LinkedIn at Lucas Silva Edwards and let's talk during a 30-minute complimentary meeting. And now, let's get back into our conversation. Laura, I see we are arriving kind of at the, the end of our interview. Unfortunately, we could be talking for, uh, for an, hours. another hour. And I was, uh, I was sure that with you, that would be the, 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 <laughs> the case. Um, can you maybe tell us quickly, more or less, where you are now in, uh, in, in your journey? Uh, and maybe where, where do you see your, your next step uh, uh, going? Yeah, I feel like now I... I'm more confident with my background with now like 10 years of working in the fashion industry. And I really want to find back this um, satisfa satisfaction, satisfying feeling of helping brands. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, maybe doing consulting for a brand that I would choose, but they would also choose me, obviously, but with who I would share the same values and yeah the same uh, mindset and i i'm pretty sure there's a tons but my my way of thinking have really changed from the lore when she was like 20 years old and now now she's like 31 and um yeah I, i'm more towards like helping small businesses than working for huge companies um so this is where i would see myself but also maybe expand the range to not only ready to wear or fashion to fashion, but maybe lifestyle, art, and maybe design as well. So this is, uh, this is where, what I'm looking at at the moment. It's amazing. And just to give a little bit of context for the people listening. So you left Kiss not so long ago. So it's a yeah. really, really new uh, yeah. adventure for, for, for you. Um, what would you say are maybe the, 
the challenges of making that change because we all know in industry and even our generation we move from jobs to jobs and we want to have different things um what are the let's say the the big challenges that you 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 are facing at this moment but i would say is to not lose confidence and to um to always believe that you're able to do it and and yeah the challenge is um is really to lose a bit yourself in this society where you know it's not that well seen to be a freelance or you know so feel that you really need to make yourself like stronger and and also as a woman i felt that in some context i it was hard for me to express myself or like not express myself or like to be listened so for me it's it's really to gain in in power and to believe in in yourself that sounds so basic but <laughs> but this is what what uh, what i would say is is really to not lose that yeah for me like we we could use the word basic me i call them the fundamentals yeah. because this this so strong and it's yeah. all of us and yeah. uh, and i re i relate to 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 what you're saying the confidence part even myself with my project of coaching the podcast and everything it is it is the same challenge is because in my opinion because you have the safety of the work or you have been working as you say for 10 years so you know it it's comfortable yeah. and then you go back to the uncomfortable uh, zone exactly. like at the beginning of when we were doing internships but now with yeah. higher stakes and yeah. it's like okay but we need to go back to that that uncomfortable zone and find i, I like what you said to become stronger to to believe that we have the the skills to to make that move and make it yeah. happen and, and 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 hopefully make a living of that uh, that new that new project so uh, i like it it's a they are really it's a really strong advice because it is the fundamental of any project and it, it works for any step of uh, any moment <laughs> yeah, of right. our life yeah i'm That's happy you're sharing that as well like uh yeah that makes me also more confident <laughs> in, in that you know <laughs> no definitely, definitely that's why like surround yourself with a uh, good people that uh, believe in you it's also one yeah. really key uh so so let's uh, we can definitely plan uh, an episode two to continue our journey because there is few things that we didn't talk about in your, in your journey but it would be uh, lovely to to see where uh, you, you what you do in the in the next couple of months and, sure. and, and see how your project uh, uh, evolve but but thank you a lot for for your time for all the insight the advice and and all the the clarity about uh, you know those dream jobs the buyer the salesperson so it was really really good to to have you uh, on the podcast thank you again Laura. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure and happy to talk about my, the next step later. <laughs> as glamorous as our industry sounds and look, the reality to be a fashion professional not always is. There is a moment where you will work harder than you thought you could, where you're going to feel so overwhelmed that you are not able to think straight. We all go through those moments, and it's part of the commitment and passion we have for fashion. However, remember that we have learned from this conversation. Number one, at the beginning of our career, it's important to multiply our experiences and push our limits in order to discover what we are capable of and where we perform our best. It might take some time and a lot of tries and errors, but eventually you will find it. 
Number two, each experience, even the smallest one, can help you get to the next stage of your life and career. Who knows what you will learn or who you might meet? So always keep your eyes open and look for the opportunities that lie in front of you. Number three, over time you will learn to listen to yourself and know when it's time to move on. Don't let the prestige of a brand stop you into your journey. There is many ways to work in this industry and depending where you are in life, some jobs or position might be better fit for you. So take a moment and be honest with yourself. If you're still hearing this, thank you so much for tuning in. I know how much your time is valuable. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. This is the most efficient way to help us grow and entice people to listen to the show. If you have any questions, comments or requests, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn. Until next time, I wish you a wonderful day.